The scripture lessons today come from Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app, however you follow along with us, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. One of the components of this time of the year that makes it so special is the music. That's one of the unique things about the Christmas season is all of the music that's associated with it. And, of course, the debate is always, you know, how soon can you put up your Christmas tree? How soon can you begin to play Christmas music? Uh, But, you know, this is the time of the year when people who wouldn't be caught dead in a church, well, maybe they'd be caught dead in a church, but, you know, otherwise they wouldn't be in a church, saying, oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You know, and and if you hang around... uh, you know, a, a bar, you may find people stumbling out of there singing, Christ the Savior is born. You know, they, they're just, this is the only time of the year when you can get a group of people together and go outside and sing songs in front of somebody else's house and they won't call the cops on you. Well, maybe they won't, you know. And, you know, at least in the old days, they might have welcomed you in, you know, for cookies and hot chocolate or something. It, it just... You know, there's something about the music of the Christmas season. Donna says one of the reasons she loves December is that the whole world is singing our songs. Uh, There is something about Christmas music. The Apostle Paul says to make music in your heart to the Lord. Doesn't say anything about being on pitch or anything like that. He just says, make music, make melody in your hearts to the Lord. The Bible also talks about the fruit of our lips, giving praise to God. And there's a significant statement in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And she's concerned about, well, you know, you all say we have to worship on this mountain, and my people say we have to worship on this mountain. And Jesus said, the Father seeks worshipers. He doesn't say the Father seeks worship because the angels worship for all eternity. What Jesus said is, we are looking for people who will worship us in spirit and in truth. And what better time to be a worshiper than at Christmas time? Because the power of the Christmas music I'm speaking of, you know, Christmas carols, Christmas hymns. The power of those songs is the message. The power of those songs is the worship included in those songs. That's what makes the difference. I heard a guy say many years ago, he thought one of the devil's very successful strategies was getting the church to only sing Christmas carols at Christmas time. He said, because when you study the, the historic Christmas carols, there is so much theology, so much biblical truth that he says, you know, we need to sing it, get it in our minds and get it in our spirits. But what better time to learn from the worshipers who worshiped during that first Christmas season? And so I want us this morning to look at three of the famous passages of scripture that have become songs. They may not have been originally done to music, but through the years they have been put to music and people sing at least excerpts 
from these three songs. We start with Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is when the angel has appeared to Mary. This is called the Magnificat, because in the King James it says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. We could call this song Amazing Grace. And you may remember a few weeks ago we studied grace. And we said grace is all of the good gifts that God gives to us. She says, my soul rejoices, glorifies, magnifies the Lord. And that word rejoices that she uses literally means to jump for joy. Yeah, it's like her world has just been shaken by the angel's news to her. And her response is one of joy. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And that word means to declare his greatness. And that's where worship starts. Worship starts focusing on the greatness of God. When we get overwhelmed by the circumstances in our lives, it probably is a sign that we've lost focus on the greatness of our God. Because we really have a choice of what we're going to focus on. If we set our focus on the things of this world, we will be overwhelmed, we will be discouraged, we will be frustrated, we will feel like giving up. But if we can keep our focus on the greatness of God and magnify Him, He gives us the perspective to face the challenges of this life. So what does she say? She says, first, He notices me. Verse 48, He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He notices me. I love that. He has regarded me. It means he has looked with favor on me. Have you ever been, maybe it was a, a business meeting, maybe it was a Christmas party, maybe it was some other kind of an event, where it seemed like everybody knew everybody else but you? You know, and it's like you're there and nobody seems to notice you. Or maybe you're in a discussion with somebody, but somebody else walks into the room, apparently either more famous than you or more important than you or more influential than you. And suddenly the person talking to you says, excuse me, and goes and talks to that other person. Have you ever felt like everybody in the room was a celebrity but you? that everybody knew somebody, but nobody knew you. That's a t one of the worst feelings, is to feel alone in a crowd. But here's what I want to tell you. You 
matter to God. And he notices you. He is mindful of you. There is something within human nature that we feel the need to be noticed. You, you see that if you watch children play. I heard, I heard a, a guy said that he had taken his kids to the community swimming pool one summer day, and there were kids all over the place, and, you know, hey, mommy, watch me. Hey, daddy, watch me. And he said there was one little boy who got up on the diving board and said, hey, everybody, watch me. You know, there, there's just something about our human nature that we want to feel like people are noticing us. I want to tell you, God notices you. You are not invisible to him. You may feel invisible to everybody else, but you're not invisible to God. He notices you. He cares for you. He knows when you move, you know. He knows your birthday. He knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows the things that that keep you up late at night. He knows all of those things. He notices you. He cares about you. And he loves you. She says, he has done great things for me. That's a demonstration of his love. God loves us and demonstrates that by doing great things for us. Stop by a manger sometime this week and remember that he did it for you. You matter to him. He loves you. And in verse 50, she talks about his forgiveness, his mercy extends to those who fear him. See, Christmas is not a standalone event. Christmas must have Easter. Christmas is of no significance without Easter. Because if the baby in the manger is not the Messiah, who died on the cross to forgive us our sins and then be raised from the dead as the proof of his deity, Christmas is empty and meaningless. Where would we be without God's mercy? And don't overlook, it's almost like a parenthesis that she throws in at the end of verse 49. Holy is his name. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that God is a holy God and we are sinful and we need a redeemer. And that's the purpose of Christmas, that God loved us enough that he provided a substitute to pay the price for our sins. On the other side of the manger is the cross. Don't lose sight of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. But then she says, she calls herself his servant in verse 48. That tells me he wants to use me. I am his servant. He wants to use me. God usually chooses to work through human beings. He chose to populate the earth through Adam and Eve. He chose to save mankind through Noah. He chose to rescue Israel through Moses. He chose to come to this world through Mary. And he has chosen to do something significant through you. God did not create us to go through life without meaning or without purpose. He has created us, the scripture says, to do good works. 
which beforehand he has ordained that we would do. He has chosen us to do something significant for him. Now, the problem that we have, because you may be saying, "Uh uh-uh, not me, I can't do anything significant. The problem we have is we evaluate significance differently than God does. And it may be that that one person that you have an impact on is going to have more significance than all of the people that seem to impact hundreds or thousands of people on a weekly basis. God wants to use us. He wants to use us to touch the lives of the people that we come in contact with on a regular basis. I talk about that all the time, but it's true. God wants us to, to wants to use us for his purpose. And then she says, he has not forgotten to be merciful to us. And he has remembered Abraham and his descendants just as he promised. You can trust God's power and his faithfulness. He has performed mighty deeds, and she talks about them. Scattering the proud, bringing down rulers, exalting the humble. God has power, and he has remembered his promises. You can trust God's power. You can trust his faithfulness. He keeps his promises. One of the underlying messages of the Christmas season is God keeps his promises. Now, it takes a long time sometimes, but God keeps his promises. And Mary said he promised the Messiah would come. The Messiah is coming. The second worshiper we see at Christmas time is the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias. Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth could not have children. And you may remember the, the time when Zechariah is serving as the priest in the temple and the angel comes to him and says, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child, going to be the forerunner uh, of the Messiah. And uh, he says, I, I don't really believe that. Can you give me a sign? And the angel says, sure, you're not going to speak again <laughs> until after the child is born. And Elizabeth said, thank you, God. No, And, and uh, so Elizabeth at least had nine months of silence. But then on the eighth day after his birth, they gather for the circumcision. They, and the angel had told Zechariah, you call him John. So they're getting ready to name the baby, which is what they did on the eighth day. And they, what do we name him? What do we name him? And, and John motioned for some paper and he wrote down, his name is John. And at that moment, his tongue was loosed and, and he began to speak. And this is what he said, Luke 1, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, 
through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. Last week we talked about Christmas light and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. We could call this amazing gift. He says, Christ is with us. He has come to his people. Oh, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Remember when Philip said, Lord, if you show us the Father, and Jesus said, you've been with me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the incarnation really shows it. You know, he's not born in a palace. He's not born to the upper class. He doesn't have all of those privileges. He's born in a manger, borrowed, you know, with the animals still around the barn. He, he is with us in, in, in the realities and the harshness of life. Somebody said, if you really want to know Christmas, it's not slow down and smell the flowers. It's slow down and smell the barn, you know, because that's what Christmas is. And from his very birth, Jesus tells us, I'm one of you. I'm one of the common people. I'm one of the ordinary people. And I am with you. He's with us in our laughter. He's with us in our tears. He's with us in our plenty. He's with us in times of challenge. He's with us when they're in the bloom of good health. He's with us when sickness comes our way. He's with us as we celebrate the birth of a baby, and he's with us as we lay a loved one to rest. He's with us on the mountaintops. He's with us in the valleys. Whatever you're going through, God is with us. You hear me say it on a regular basis. You never have to face a day by yourself. You never have to face a challenge by yourself. You never have to go through a hard time by yourself. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has come to his people. Not only is he with us, he is for us. And he just talks about, he has redeemed us. He's raised up a horn of salvation. He's given us salvation from our enemies. He's remembered his covenant. He is for us. And again, he brings up, he remembered the promise he made to Abraham. God keeps his promises. He is for you. God is on your side. God wants you to go to heaven more than you want to go to heaven. He proved that when he made the way for us to go. He wants to give us a life of meaning and purpose. He is for us. And he sets us free from sin and fear. Verses 74 and 75. He enables us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We talked about God's holiness a few weeks ago and his requirement that we be holy. doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we're getting more and more and more like Christ. And that's what Christ also came to do. Not just to forgive us of our sins, but to enable us to serve God in holiness and righteousness. God 
is on our side. God sets the standard, and then he provides the way through which we can meet that standard through his son. He's for us. But probably the best-known quotation mark song from the first Christmas is Luke chapter 2. It does not say that the angels praised God and sang. It says they praised God and said. Uh, But if you've heard the Messiah one time, you can't read this passage without hearing, Glory to God! Glory to God! (laughs) Because there's something about the angels that we think they sang. It's a song of amazing glory. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amazing glory. Glory to God in the highest. The shepherds tell us, or the angels tell us, God is interested in you personally. I bring you good tidings of great joy. God is interested in you. I know I've said that several times this morning. Apparently somebody needs to hear it. God is interested in you. You may have had somebody tell you this week, nobody cares. He does. He's interested in you. He cares. He's interested in you personally. When we read God so loved the world, that means you and me individually and personally. God is interested in us and demonstrates that at the manger. And Christmas is good news. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Greatest story around is Christmas and Easter. (laughs) The good news that there is a Savior, Christ the Lord. You can be forgiven. Say John 3.16 with me. You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the next verse says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. We think Christ came to condemn us. Ah, we were already under condemnation. He sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is good news. Christmas is good news. There is a Savior. You can be forgiven of your sins. And that's the wonderful news of Christmas. I I told you a couple of weeks ago, Christmas is challenging for preachers because we feel like we need to say things differently. Well, no, just tell the story. Christmas is about the love of God and loving us enough to give us his son so that we who were condemned might be saved. 
And then they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Part of the message of Christmas that motivates our worship is you can experience peace. When you study peace in the scriptures, there's first peace with God that comes through salvation. You know, the classroom term is atonement. When Jesus paid the price for our sins, you may have heard, you know, he is the atoning sacrifice. I remember I was doing a Bible study on that uh, one week at one of my facilities and there was a, an older man there who had been through uh, Catholic high school and some Catholic training. And uh, he spoke up. He said, we call that at one meant. I said, you're right. The atonement, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, at one meant. What atonement is, is that Christ on the cross reached out, took hold of a holy God, and reached out and took hold of sinful man and brought us together and made it possible for us to be at one again with God, to be have fellowship with him because of the forgiveness of sins. Peace starts with the peace with God. Paul in Colossians 3 talks about the peace of God. That's that peace that is deep down inside. In Paul's case, in Colossians 3, he talks about the peace of God ruling in our hearts. It has the idea of the decision should be made with what gives us peace. But I think that even beyond that, there is the peace of God that keeps us steady in the difficult times, that way down inside, there's a song we sang growing up, there's a deep settled peace in my soul. Though the billows roll, yeah, there's a deep settled peace in my soul. Christ came to give us peace that when all around us is chaos and confusion, he gives us peace, which allows us then to have peace with others. That's the hardest one because it depends on other people. And Paul understood that because we, and he said, as much as it is possible, as much as it lies in you, be at peace with others. But peace with others will never come until we're at peace within ourselves and will never be at peace within ourselves until we experience peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. Make sure you spend some time worshiping this week. <laughs> Maybe go back over these three songs and just let them soak in. God keeps his promises. We can trust him. He's provided a savior. He gives us great things. He wants to use us to make a difference in people's lives. He is with us in the good times and the bad, and he has come to bring us peace. And Father, how desperately our world needs that peace. And we know that ultimately it's not going to come until you come back as the Prince of Peace and set up your kingdom here on this earth. But in the meantime, Father, help us to bring the kingdom into the chaos of our own lives and our own world.
It may be, Lord, that we're in a situation where we're the only believer or one of a few believers. And I pray that you would help us not to get so caught up in all the stuff that's going around that we lose our peace. But may we, Father, allow you to rule in our hearts and to use us as an instrument of your peace. And Lord, may your blessing rest on us and flow through us. May your presence rest on us and flow through us. That as we go through our daily lives, and this week in the midst of all of the busyness of last-minute stuff, help us to stay focused on you. Help us to be worshipers and help us to experience your peace. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. Merry Christmas.